This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Jeff T from the Club 520 Podcast. When it comes to your feet, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue check mark that says authenticity guaranteed, that means real experts are checking your sneakers. Every stitch down to the sole. They even smell them because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax. From the drop to your doorstep, eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guarantee. Visit ebay.com for terms. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. No! Oh my God! How could he do that? Are you on? Don't What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber, and alongside me is Logan Candon. And today we've got an interesting show for you all. We are not able to record in studio right now, so who knows if this will even come out as a podcast. And if it does, it will be off of the voice memos on our phone. So if you are listening to that, we apologize, but we're just doing our best to make it in this crazy, brutal world. So we have arrived at NBA All-Star Weekend, which means obviously we will not have current basketball to talk about over the next few days. But this does present us a good opportunity to just do sort of some catching up and a bit of a check-in, if you will, Logan. And I think... The first storyline that we need to talk about that we probably haven't talked about enough and that certainly hasn't gotten enough national attention is just the unrivaled brilliance of the Suns this year. And I think there's a bunch of factors in that. From our perspective, maybe it's just the fact that obviously they were so good last year and there's a lot of roster similarity and continuity, but they just keep on dominating. And they're sitting here at 48-10 and 10 now, and they just don't lose at this point. So let's talk about the Suns, man. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think we need to. It's just, it's so boring. You know what I mean? Like, the Suns have just been so consistent in doing this thing for so long now. Like, they are a, I, I, I don't, I, I, Carson, where do you think they are in terms of, like, basketball machine? Are, are they on par with the Warriors? Can we say that? Like, the peak Warriors? Not like peak, I would say like the Warriors from this season. Do you think that they're just purely on their level as just a machine and manufacturing good basketball? They're better right now. Yeah, I it's it's unreal, man. The the way these guys have just gelled together. Uh, CP3 stepping in here and being the final cog to the machine that makes this thing go as a difficult shot maker, as a guy who leads this offense. It's insane. And everybody just plays their roles so well. And I think it's exemplified by, you know, watching the JaVale McGee's of the world step in and play their roles, the Bismack Biombos. Um, speaking of which, I, I know we briefly touched on this. I love what the Suns did at the deadline as well, Carson. Mm-hmm. Um 
I want to bring up something interesting about the Suns. Now, this is kind of overarching. We're not actually zeroing in on them, but I, I was listening to Rosillo and Ben Sim, uh, Bill Simmons, Ben Simmons, uh, yeah, the Ben Simmons podcast. I was listening to Bill Simmons and Rosillo talk about this, but it's interesting how the Suns cultivated this identity, right? Because they built around Booker and Aiden and kind of established this identity by themselves, and then they went out and they got that final piece. And I just think it's interesting that I don't know. It, we, we always think about teams building and going out and accumulating these stars and then jumping in, but the Suns were unique in the way that they were playing good basketball and building their own identity before they acquired Chris Paul. And I just think it's interesting that he was the final piece of the puzzle, but the teams that are similar to this, like the Grizzlies of the world, the Cavaliers of the world in basketball nowadays are, I think, kind of in that same boat. You know what I mean? Like you get one more high-level perimeter creator and – Maybe it opens a title window. You get what I'm saying? To an extent, I just feel like referring to CP as one final piece of the puzzle almost understates his value because the Cavs and the Grizzlies are very, very good teams with a multitude of good players. But if you look at where the Suns were prior to last season, sure, they had some foundational pieces, but there were so many questions about DeAndre Ayton. And I do think that the ability of CP allowing him to hyper-focus on this simplified role, Aiton that is, has been pivotal to his success. I mean, his raw production is not what it was even in his second year, but he's unquestionably a way better basketball player, and I think that's obvious to anybody who watches him. And then you look at the continued development of a guy like Macau Bridges. Like, he's obviously a different player than he was at that point. So coming into the year in which they added CP, there were obviously a lot of things to like about that Suns roster, and they were clearly going to be a playoff caliber team, but I don't know if I would say that my expectation was, oh yeah, they're one piece away, and Chris Paul is not exactly your average one piece. You know, he's the maestro, he's the orchestrator, but what they have done is completely remarkable, and it's a testament to the ability to develop that talent internally. Obviously, the three guys we already mentioned, Cam Johnson, another just superstar role player, and then also to go out and add the pieces as needed. Chris Paul, obviously, being like the dream example of that. But getting a guy who just does his job so well as A.J. Crowder. Getting campaign, who obviously has been so valuable to them over these last couple years. Adding more shooting through a Landry Shamit. Going out and finding good rotational backup bigs after last season when that was really their biggest issue. And now they've added two of them this year in both JaVale and Bismack. It's just... One of the best roster-building jobs of our lifetimes. I mean, James Jones has just been a master in his time with Phoenix. And obviously, Monty Williams is another guy who has been consistently brilliant. I think Monty has to be coach of the year. Yes, like, I, I think I it's, it's just long overdue. I, on, a, on a big scale, Carson, you have been one of the biggest Sun skeptics uh, throughout wow. the season. I'm not going to say like okay. you've been a big Suns hater, but you've been a guy that has failed to crown them as the Kings of the West. Have you come around on that yet? What what the hell is it going to take the Suns to do for them to be your favorites out West? Like Dude, I mean, I I can't believe you just framed it that way. I cannot believe you just How else it that would way. you phrase it, Carson? I have thought that the Warriors have a higher ceiling than the Suns because I have thought the Warriors have an insanely high ceiling. It's not anti-Suns. The Suns have very clearly been a top five team in basketball this entire season and have very clearly been a team with a title ceiling. I do think now that we've seen some of the Warriors with Clay out there. I mean, it's tough because we really have so rarely seen the fully healthy Warriors. 
I think the Suns are better. I mean, again, I want to see that full combination of the Warriors, but the Suns are a top three team on both ends. And unless Steph plays exceptionally well, mm-hmm. although I think the Warriors have certainly dramatically improved their shot creation from last year with just Jordan Poole getting up to this level and now you do have Clay into the mix, and I do love their depth so much and I, I do still love their defense, it's just the Suns have closed the gap on them a bit defensively, and then offensively, I mean, at the end of the day, they have two big-time clutch shot makers, and they've been an unbelievable team in the clutch this year. And the Warriors, as incredibly empowering as Steph is to good team offense, it does concern me if you can't consistently rely game-to-game on another shot creator. So at the end of the day, what the Suns have right now just feels a bit more replicable and effortless I still again do have a lot of faith in the Warriors peak ceiling but right now I think to deny the Suns their status as the favorite out west would probably be a bit disrespectful well yeah and I mean with the Warriors you're still operating in uh I think Rob Mahoney said this best uh, you're still operating with theoretical pieces yeah. you are still operating with oh when Draymond is fully back if Clay can reach this uh in theory peak once more if once James Wiseman returns, and we have seen it consistently with Phoenix. Um, I'm I'm still in your boat, though, Carson. If if you ask me to bet, I'm still I think I would still bet on on Golden State. So, what's up with this slander of my name then? Because I don't even know if I'm there. I mean, again, it's oh. tough because I don't want to be overly reactionary to the recent play in which it has obviously been the Suns have surpassed and they've been better. It's also been without Draymond Green, and when Draymond plays this year, exactly. The Warriors are 28-6. and six. Exactly. And I do think that with him, they're clearly the best defense in the league, as well as the Suns have been playing as of late and as well as the Celtics have been playing as of late. And he's also just so fundamentally important to what they do offensively. So I don't know, man. I think it's crazy close. I think it's crazy close. But right now, maybe the tiebreaker just belongs to what we have seen versus what is still somewhat theoretical. Yeah, I mean, power rankings right now, I think you'd be a fool to not have the Suns at the top. But... I'm I'm still on the on the Warriors bandwagon for when it comes playoff time. I just expect and, and dude, again, we talk about Draymond coming back. When the hell is Steph gonna wake up? Steph has not looked like himself yeah. this entire season. If Steph Curry is playing and I will say I can't say that for every game because there have been some games here, man, where uh that game against the Clippers, um what, like a week ago, he drops 26 in the first half, has a, a you know, amazing uh start to the game, and I think drops nine points in the second half, and it's like the Clippers' defense just keyed in on him, and you need other guys to step up. I think the second leading scorer in that game was Wiggins with 13 points. You know what I mean? Like you've just got to get, uh, you've got to get production out of, you got to get production out of your second guys. But the, the crux of this: if Draymond is fully healthy on the floor, and if Steph starts to look like himself, I'm still rocking with him. And and Clay has not looked bad. There's been moments. Yeah. Um, it's just Clay obviously is not at 100%, but there have been games, man. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I talked about that Kings game. He looked on fire. Um, I, I know we've asked this a few times, Carson. Do you still, um, as of right now, Wiseman is still listed as uh, he's day to day, you know, like still going through rehab. Um, he's apparently going to spend some time in the G League before he comes back full time. Um, apparently, you know, he's been running some five on five scrimmage in practice. Does he matter at all when it comes playoff time? At all? Potentially, I mean, he gives you uh, another true rotational big. Let me let me ask you this question then in a different way. Okay. 
would you have him in the rotation come playoff time if he's played less than 20 games? It'll depend on how he looks in those 20 games. But I don't have a supremely high level of confidence. At the same time, I mean, he does add another dimension athletically and just size that could be valuable, specifically in a matchup against a team like the Suns, where you have to have a physical counter out there for Aiton probably. But I don't think he's particularly significant in every matchup. And again, I think that the Warriors' depth on the wings and from their perimeter guys is so good that it's like, I'm not going to force James Wiseman into there if he still is making positional errors defensively and is just basically the player we saw last season, who is a guy who's obviously supremely athletically gifted, but just doesn't have that overall feel and understanding of NBA basketball at the highest level, which is what he's being asked to do immediately which is hard, but I certainly have much more confidence in a guy like Kaminga to come in and immediately play with that sense Mm -hmm. because we've seen it. I mean, to me, he's a bona fide rotation guy in the playoffs. So I don't know, man. I guess maybe the essence here is I've talked over and over again about this ceiling that I believe exists for the Warriors, but the Suns have no holes. They really don't, dude. Mm -hmm. Like, there is nothing to nitpick at this point. And and again, with the acquisitions that they have made throughout the season you talk about the excellent roster building I don't think you could have made any better deals at the deadline like the uh, Aaron Holiday is a guy who can fill it up and get you 10 points in a quarter in single-handedly swing a game you know like um Torrey Craig is a guy who's just going to give you great three and d uh you know stuff every single possession and then we, we've seen what Biombo can do we've seen what JaVale McGee can do I some like they are even if one of their top guys gets hurt, because I think that's something that also we need to discuss. If the Warriors lose any single piece for any period of time in the playoffs, I think they're screwed. When I trust the Suns' guys to step up, if it's, you know, say Jay Crowder or Mikal Bridges went down, I don't want to see that happen, but Cam Johnson could step up in a heartbeat. Torrey Craig can step up in a heartbeat. I don't know if the Warriors, I don't know if there's any team in the NBA that has the depth that the Phoenix Suns do. Well, I kind of think... If you're talking about literally how deep into your bench do you go with good guys, I think the answer actually is the Golden State Warriors. However, it depends on what you're considering depth. I don't know why you made that face at me. The Warriors bench is insane. But the point is, who's going to be more screwed? The Golden State Warriors if they lose Steph Curry or the Phoenix Suns if they lose Devin Booker. I mean, there's no question that the Warriors are not recovering from that, and the Suns would be fine. The Suns would be a really good basketball team without Devin Booker. I believe that. I think they'd be a good team. Okay. I don't know if you can say the Warriors really good. would suck. They would be atrocious yeah, without Steph Curry. A hundred percent. So that's death wise though, there are some guys like I feel like I don't know. I just feel like there's some guys that I just have less faith in when it comes to be a playoff series Ooh. for the Warriors. Like Ooh. um I, I worry about like I don't I don't think you can play Bialitza in the playoffs. I think he's almost unplayable. Um why? Defense? Oh yeah, you cannot run dude, he will get cooked in the pick and roll. Um, he has gotten cooked in the pick and roll. I think Bielita is unplayable when it comes to playoff time. And then I just think, I don't know, like Kaminga's been good, JTA's been good, Gary Payton, they're all guys that just, I don't know, in and out. I just like the Suns' depth a little more, bro. Okay, I disagree. I think all those guys you named are athletic, versatile dogs who I absolutely want on the floor for me in a playoff series. Smart basketball players. I love the Warriors' depth. I really do. But... Both these teams are super deep, and I mean, given the Ingles injury, given some of the defensive regression we've seen from the Jazz, 
I'd be surprised if there's another team in the Western Conference Finals. And a lot of people will say you should mention the Grizzlies before the Jazz, and maybe I should because they've been playing better basketball as of late. But I can't really see them meeting the ceiling of a fully healthy Warriors team. Like, it's really pretty tough for me to conceptualize that. I completely agree. I I think that – I don't know what the Grizzlies could do to make me put them over the Jazz, bruh. Oh, even over the Jazz? Over Utah. I I don't think they can. Even all with all that Utah has lost with the minimal move, that, with the kind of lateral move they made by uh, getting Nikhil Alexander-Walker, I, no, I don't think there's anything that Memphis could do. Memphis is a great hustle team, man. I'm just still so skeptical because they're, they're two lead perimeter guys or John Morant and what, Desmond Bain. Like, I just – there's a ceiling on that. Yeah, I agree completely. All right, so the Suns have been the best team out west, obviously. The team that has been the best out east as of late – has been the Boston Celtics, a team that early in the year obviously was floundering. They couldn't really figure it out on either end of the floor. They were hovering pretty much around 500. Now they've won 9 of 10. They're in the 6th seed and are really within striking distance of like the 3 seed pretty much within a couple games at this point. So what have been your takeaways from that and just what are your thoughts on the Celtics at this point? Yeah, um, I really think people need to pump their brakes on Boston like like with where they're projecting them to be. Um, I'll give Boston their credit, and I'll give a shout-out to uh, Ime Udoka. I think that I think he's an excellent coach. I really do. I think this was the right call. I think what we, they've been able to do defensively, for one, they've been first in defensive rating over the last 15 games. That's impressive. But the offensive sets that they're running, man, with Brad Stevens running the helm, this offense could stagnate. Um, it doesn't, man. They run a lot of clever stuff with uh, you know double screens, uh, with Horford. Uh, setting up plays like you got a lot of smart guys who are not afraid to do the off ball stuff and I'll give them a lot of credit a lot of the ball movement issues that we've seen Carson with Jason Tatum with Jalen Brown with uh, the black hole stuff on offense Marcus Smart and Derek White have done a great job of of filling in and playing those facilitator roles especially Derek White man like you just see the the ball doesn't stop as much and they're great at just finding guys in their spots because they have such good feels for the game but I am still very skeptical of this team come playoff time. Like, not this defense. And on the defensive point, I do want to give a shout-out to Rob Williams. What a uh, turnaround he has had this season. I was skeptical about him long-term, you know, if you could keep him on the floor because of his offensive limitations. The guy is super switchable. He's one of the best rim protectors in the game. He's He has really taken another leap uh, defensively. And, and I think he's the reason – I think he's the – number one reason why they have the best defense in the NBA right now. Um, Rob has been tremendous. That being said, you tell me if you think I'm off base here, Carson. I still think there's a limitation to this in the playoffs. And it's not because I don't believe in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown as their top two guys. I just don't know if you can expect the offense to be as free-flowing come playoff time. I expect some of these issues with, with Brown and Tatum to maybe pop up and rear their ugly head when it comes playoff time because it's just... I don't know, man. I I can see 15 games of good basketball, but it's not going to wash the sour taste out of my mouth that I've seen from these guys for so long. And so I think it's a good story. And and I don't want to paint this picture out. I think all top six teams, even down to the Cleveland Cavaliers, I think they can make the ECF. Mm -hmm. But the Boston Celtics are not going to the finals. And so for people with that ceiling, I just I think you're crazy. I think you're off base. I can see them somehow sneaking into an Eastern Conference Finals off of a few fluky games, but. I do not think the Boston Celtics are a are a title contender. I agree. I mean, I do think that 
they've done an incredible job to improve throughout this season. I mean, things were looking dire early in the year, and I made a video about how I just thought with how their offense looked early in the season, with the lack of a facilitating identity and the ISO-heavy offense that they were running where it's all these score first wings and they didn't have the requisite shooting around them to make it work I just thought this is not going to work and I was thinking there may need to be some dramatic roster rebuilding like I'm talking breaking up Jalen and Jason not because it's like these guys couldn't ever work but because they can't work with what you have around them right now and I mean obviously they have been progressing throughout the year those two guys individually and also the offense overall I really do think the addition of a second actual playmaker like a Derek White really matters because Marcus Smart is not good enough to facilitate and command an entire offense and say, hey, I'm just going to feed our great scoring wings all day. But to sort of get that supplementary value to where now you have two guys who can fill that similar role and then also bring you some pick and roll play and some perimeter shot making and all that, I really think that that has enhanced this offense. I do agree with you, though, in that I think they're really good. They're a top-five team out east right now, in my opinion. Well, yeah, it's, it's tough, tough man. I, dude, I still really believe in the fully healthy Bulls. Like, I don't want to disrespect what they can be. I mean, they've been uh, winning even not fully healthy I, as of late. We're going to get to that in a second. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. I think I, I'm going to push back on that, though. I don't know, man. When they were flying around defensively like they were at full strength, yeah, I, whew, That was quite the team. It's a good point, and they've been without Lonzo and Caruso. Yeah, I mean, they lost their two all-defense caliber guys on the perimeter. I just, I still hate this defense, man. I mean, not this defense, excuse me. I misspoke. I still hate this depth. Oh. The depth is, the depth is going to kill them. It's a relative weakness in the East, I will say that. Here's sort of my take on the Celtics. I, I still just don't think that the offensive ceiling compares to a lot of true NBA contenders. And even over this last 15-game stretch, they've been barely top 10 in offense, and that's with them playing exceptional offense. On the year as a whole, they're 18th in offensive rating. Like, you know, it's them and the Cavs as far as teams with this record who have been that burdened offensively. And I do believe they've improved, but when you're playing like the best team in the league, as they have been, and it's so overwhelmingly because of great defense, that just makes me think for a second, okay, Is your defense going to be that much better than everybody else's come playoffs? It's going to be really, really good. But I don't think a defensive rating of 99 is sustainable. And that's what they've been doing in this unreal stretch. And then I just think their offense is fine, but it's more flawed than most actual contenders. I completely agree with you in saying that it's going to be, uh, you know, unsustainable. I think the biggest thing that people aren't talking about the Boston Celtics, though, Carson, is the, the depth on this team. Yes. And I mean, after moving off of Langford and uh, who else was in that Derek White trade? Was it? It was Langford and uh, two firsts. Yeah, or was it two firsts? I thought it was one. I'm gonna I'm gonna get the details of the trade back up. But I mean, I'm not saying that Langford was gonna be a big part of some playoff run or uh, that he was super important to this team. But I mean, he was a good depth asset for guy. You know, for ball handling off the bench to just give you some minutes. Like the the Boston Celtics have zero depth. Like. You're going to be asking all of these guys for the rest of the regular season, including like old ass Al Horford here at how old is at, at 35. You're asking these guys to run nearly 40 minutes a game every single game the rest of the season. That's Horford. That's Derek White. That's Jalen Brown. That's Jason Tatum. That's Grant Williams. And 
if if any of those guys get hurt, I think this go this thing goes down the drain, man. Like their bench guys, Neesmith, Tice, Pritchard, and then you're getting into the Luke Cornets and the Sam Hausers of the world. If anybody gets hurt, this is a disaster for the Boston Celtics. And again, I'm not saying that Romeo Langford moved the needle all that much, but the Boston Celtics have done a really poor job of of building a competent bench up over these last couple years. And I just think that that is just another limitation. I think the defense, like you said, Carson, is a little unsustainable. And then the depth is just kind of the icing on the cake where I'm like, it's going to matter in a playoff series. And again, if anybody gets hurt, I think it sinks their boat. Totally agree. And it's been one of the glaring weaknesses of the Celtics these last two years now. And so, yeah, obviously they sent out Josh Richardson too. And then it's one true first Mm -hmm, this year. And then it's a first round pick swap in 2028. I mean, I agree with you, dude. Like, that's been a red flag about this team all along. So I think that we are very much aligned. I mean, they're really good. Can I see them winning a title? I cannot. No, neither can I. What, do you, would, you have them, would you have them above the Cavs right now? Yeah. Just because there are more sources of perimeter offense and their defense has been even better than Cleveland's as of late, that's why I would probably mm-hmm. lean on them. And, I mean, it really is unbelievable what Jason Tatum playing his best can do. Like, I don't want to undersell. We saw this guy do two postseasons ago in that Eastern Conference Finals run was really quite special. But, yeah, I just don't think their offense is really where it would need to be for them to be a team that I'm like, yeah, I'm going to see them really winning the title. And, honestly, I still think... I mean, Milwaukee clicking is in a different tier. I I think that... The Nets and the Sixers and the Heat, I would all bet on over the Celtics. Like, I I honestly don't think that I'm picking them to win a first-round series. It'll depend on the matchup. If they get the Cavs, I probably would take them in that series. But they're very good. I do wonder if people are overreacting a little bit to their play as of late. Yeah, I think so. And then, dude, honestly, maybe this is a hot take. I trust the Heat defense a little more um, long-term, too. And, again, I know the Celtics have been elite. Again, they got the number one defense on the season. I still think I trust Miami's defense more. I don't know. I mean, the Celtics have, first of all, insanely switchable guys, dudes who, because they do switch everything. Can, are, you saying, are you saying Miami doesn't? I'm saying if I look at Boston's roster, I see two all-defense caliber guards, two really good defensive athletic bigger wings, and a guy in Robert Williams who has been sensational protecting the rim this year. That's an insane defensive five. Yeah, and with Miami, I see a guy who has never been afraid of the moment to take the lead guy. We saw that the other night in P.J. Tucker, who is insanely versatile. You've got the best defensive big man arguably in the game right now in Bam Adebayo. You have got a all-defense caliber wing in Jimmy Butler. Um I, there's always going to be one liability on the floor for Miami, considering who you're running at that two spot. And then you got another feisty guy who's going to compete in Kyle Lowry. Yeah. Like I, there's just a different level of athleticism with Boston. I guess is my point. Lowry, PJ Tucker, they're dogs, but I think okay. Then that that is my argument. I think there's a different level of intensity that I see with Miami that I just don't get from any other team in the NBA. I mean, at the end of the day, we're kind of picking nits here between two top five defenses. My point is. There's nothing approaching a liability in the Celtics' best five defensively. And that's, by the way, what I think is going to be their starting five come playoffs. Like, I don't think they're going to go Horford and Williams, right? Like, when it really matters. It's it's a good quote. Because I don't like that as much as what they could do with 
I mean, yeah, you're going to go Derek White, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and then Rob Williams, and then you're going to run Horford and Grant Williams off the bench, right? Well, I think that's their best starting five, yes. Yeah, I agree. We'll see if they do it. But, yeah, the Celtics are very, very good. Yeah, it, we're, we're so, what are they, like five or six for you? I think that's kind of my boat, too. Yeah, I agree. All right, so we mentioned the Chicago Bulls for a second, and they have won five straight. And the reason they have won five straight is largely because DeMar DeRozan is a superhuman and scored 35-plus on better than 50% shooting in seven straight games, breaking Wilt's record for the longest such streak. So, I mean, what do we make of this? It's just so crazy how he does it, man. Yeah. The, I don't know, man. It's like DeMar is kind of changing. I don't think he's changing my mind on how I think about basketball or anything, but it's crazy his efficiency out of the mid-range. He's the only guy. DeMar is so unique. Like, he's the only guy doing it like him, man. They can operate this well out of the mid-range. They can be this efficient out of the mid-range. It's, it's a throwback game, man, and it's really beautiful to watch. But you're damn right it's been impressive. With the injuries that they've sustained to Caruso, to uh, to Lonzo, like guys that, well, again, one, make your defense better, but two, can just take the pressure off you and take a little bit of the ball-handling duties. The Bulls have been winning games, and DeMar's been balling out like this with Javante Green in the starting five. Mm-hmm. Like, bro... They're running Troy Brown nearly 30 minutes a night off the bench. I, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It, it has been a superhuman effort, and it's been necessary every single night for DeMar to, to do these things for them to just skate by and get the win. And that's with, I will say, Vucevic has been uh, elite as of late. Uh, Ayo Desonu has been playing a really big role as of late. Like There are a lot of good pieces working here, um, but... Again, with the lack of depth here on this bench, with the Tyler Cooks of the world, the Tony Bradleys of the world, the Malcolm Hills getting burned, it's it's insane. Well, because their roster is decimated. Yeah, and but they they're were, winning. No, I agree. Okay, I thought we were going back to the point of you saying that their bench is a major I reason still, that you're I skeptical. Because well, my point is... I'm still skeptical of this bench when it comes playoff time. Right, but, but Tyler Cook wasn't playing, and Malcolm Hill wasn't playing. Those guys are emergency options. Tony Bradley, yeah, he has been playing, and I still genuinely think like they should. They need to go they, find a big yes, somewhere. Go to free agency and find literally anyone. Although Tony Bradley, fun fact, fun Tony Bradley fact here on Nerd Sesh, still the leader in defensive field goal percentage inside six feet for all big men in the NBA. Don't Doesn't care. make any sense. Don't care. Didn't ask. Plus, young boy better. Yes. Yeah, again, it's just such a bummer that this season has been disrupted by such brutal injuries for them. But if Patrick Williams does come back for the playoffs, this to me is a group that is certainly capable of being a top 10 defense again. Okay, that being said, we got the top. We got a potential top 10 defense. We have two of the best isolation and perimeter creators in basketball. Yeah, great floor spacing around them. We got great ball movers around them. We've yeah. got another really talented offensive big who can space the floor. Is there a world where you see the Bulls getting to the finals? Yes, I think they have Ooh. a higher ceiling than the Celtics. I think they have a higher ceiling than the Celtics. And I mean, dude, you can talk about their depth, but if they're fully healthy... It's not really going to matter that much. Your top eight guys with how Io has been playing are so good. And, I mean, if Javante Green is your ninth guy, you know what, dude? He's a pretty damn good ninth guy. And he's had to start a lot of games this year, but that was not the plan, and that's not what it would look like. And then, you know, you're not playing Troy Brown Jr. You're not playing anybody beyond that. And that's a really, really, really good, balanced, complete top nine. 
I just think I agree with you on, on on a few of the points. I just think that they're just not deep enough in the wings. I agree if Patrick Williams comes back, it could change the complexion of this. I mean, of your top eight, well, you know, six of your top eight, the best players are guards. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, how much floor time can you give to, to Ayo, to Kobe, to Lonzo, to Caruso, There's to DeRozan, to Levine? Guys. Yeah. Well, defensively, Lonzo, Caruso can guard wings. Javante Green's a wing. I don't think that they're, like, overly backcourt reliant. I mean, DeMar and Zach Levine are athletic 6'6 dudes. I don't really look at them and think, oh, boy. Now, yeah, I mean, sure, they don't have a second big who I want to play any meaningful playoff minutes, and they don't have an actual rim protector on the roster. Exactly. Those are issues. Well, and And the fact that, look, man, Vucevic has been so much better as of late during this run, and again, we're all talking about uh, – DeMar's dominance, and we all need to praise him. Uh, Vucevic has been better, but I, I do wonder about his disappearing act come playoff time. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if he's going to be – is he a guy that you can rely on? I, I think at a bare-bones minimum, he has to give you 16 to 18 a night with 10 boards on, you know, 50-35 splits for you to win a series. And I just don't know if you can expect that out of him – Again, he's been much better as of late. I just don't know if you can expect that out of him for, for, for a playoff series. Where does your skepticism come from there? Because, I mean, he started this year playing, like, his worst basketball in five years and has rounded into four or more. But, I mean, this guy has been the focal point of an offense. I think that Vooch, as a third option, a versatile guy who will bring you floor spacing and interior scoring and playmaking, he can do it pretty darn well. Yeah, I agree. He's averaging, like I said, he's averaging 24-13-4 in his last 10 games. It's the shooting. Okay, but last year he shot 40% from deep and quite famously at some point in the year was leading the league in above-the-break threes. Yeah, and now he's shooting what, like under 30%? 32. There's been some regression, but I just don't really expect that to be where he settles. It's probably somewhere in the middle. He's a career 35% guy. I would definitely expect that. Well, and then you think about the hypothetical matchups out in the East. I mean, if the Bulls run into the Bucks or the Sixers, I think they're kind of screwed. Giannis and Embiid are eating on that all day long. No really good rim protector off the bench. You're matched up with Vooch all game. I'm expecting Embiid and Giannis to run him off the floor. Those are tough matchups. I think those are also teams that are probably just better at the end of the day. Yeah. Once we see the Sixers looking like themselves with Harden out there and everything. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think that the Bulls would be underdogs in any of those series. And I worry about that lack of rim protection. But I think that they have a very high two-way ceiling that, by the way, we saw for 20-something games. And then we can't just forget about that. And by the the way— The Bulls are also— yeah. Not to cut you off, the Bulls are also really good at like blowing fourth quarter leads and making games tight, as are the Miami Heat. Um, the Bulls are tied for the one seed right now, dude. That is insane given what they've been through. Yeah. I'm just, I'm Rah. sorry. Look, dude, I said I thought the Bulls could win the East, and that was my take, and I still believe it because they're going to play their asses off. They're going to play hard. This is a team that plays harder than damn near any team in the league. But when it comes to playoff time, I'm, I'm sorry, Bulls fans. I'm sorry, Chicago. I just... Yes, I'm very skeptical. I think you guys are probably my fourth or fifth team out east. I love how we have these discussions in which it seems like we so adamantly disagree, and then we think the same thing. Because, I mean, yeah, I would agree. 
I have no, but yeah, but the diff, the distinct difference is, to me, there is no path to the title. There is zero path to the title for the Chicago Bulls. Zero. Yeah, I don't think that I agree with that. I mean, I think that they have the level of shot making that is necessary, level of playmaking within their offense, and maybe you could question the defensive ceiling. But I don't know, man. I, mean, I, I question Vooch. Vooch is going to let this team down when it comes when it comes crunch time. Defensively or offensively? Defensively. Eh. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't love him, but it's not like he's Bro, undone. Actually, their actually, this let's year. let's 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 do some let's do some quick quick maths right right now. Free agent centers right now. Chicago, the Chicago Bulls need a center. Vooch does have a seven six wingspan. Everybody always forgets cool. that. Cool. He's very long. I'm just saying they're like one of the longest teams in the NBA. Pause, bro. Where where can I get an accurate list of free agent centers? Let's go. We're gonna sign Tyshawn Alexander. He fixes all their problems. Wow, this is horrible. I have. They're gonna sign Aaron Baines. This is this is a horrible list. Moses Brown. Yes. Actually, that that actually actually kind of makes sense. Moses isn't really super switchable, but I don't care. Just give me a good athlete who's big. Yes, exactly. Give me not Tony Bradley. A hundred percent. I don't know if there's any Taco Fall. Yikes. Um, actually, yeah, this is really weird to say. Moses Brown might be the only actual reasonable guy to go with. I don't understand how two and a half years into his career, Moses Brown is not on an NBA team. I don't get that either. I really like the upside for this kid. He's good. He's been good when he's been healthy. All right. Speaking of being healthy, you know who's not? Anthony Davis. Out for four weeks is the report, correct? Obviously had that scary injury the other night. What does this mean? All right, look. Carson and I have... We put off talking about the Lakers because the Lakers kind of suck and they're stinky to talk about and n- nobody really wants to. Um, the thing is, is that uh, we all know this. Me and you know this, Carson, but I'm going to set the table here. LeBron is a guy who, in his time in L.A., has always gone with best talent over fit, always. Even I, I was skeptical about the AD move off the jump because of the conflicting skill sets, the spacing issues, uh, AD's unwillingness to play the five they persevered, they had a pretty good bench, and they won a title. And LeBron and AD had the best jump-shooting stretch of his career, and they ended up winning the title. But AD is a guy who has struggled with injuries consistently. This is a guy who can just, we just need to face the facts at this point and accept that he's a guy who's not going to stay on the floor for you. He's a guy who just, his body is physically incapable of holding up to a season, whether it's mentality where, and he's just a soft cat, or if his body just won't let him stay out there on the floor. I, I, I don't know what the reasons is. The bottom line is is that the Los Angeles Lakers are going to have to trade, I think, Carson, I think they have to trade Anthony Davis in the offseason. I wow. think you have to move AD because I don't know what the hell you're going to get back for Russ. I don't know if you can move Russ. He is probably going to opt into, what, that $47 million option next season? Yeah, I think he'll be opting into that. I mean, why wouldn't he? No one else is going to pay him. I would. I don't know if I'd pay Russell Westbrook $10 million a year at this point in his career. I would. Russ is going to be a tough guy to move off of his contract. They're going to try their best. People are still going to be interested in Anthony Davis. And what you should be looking to get back, 
because the objective is always to build around LeBron. You need to get shooters back. You need to get high-end perimeter creators. You need to get guys that are going to space the floor. Like, dude, LeBron has had to run the five for this team recently. LeBron has been doing superhuman things once again this season because he's had to and hasn't translated to winning because there's nobody around him. I I think it is the fault of his own because of bad decisions they've made. AD is not going to be healthy enough to sustain through a season. He is undependable. I think Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis are both lost causes as NBA stars. And if you can get off of their contracts, if you can get off of them long term, I think it's the best move. You've got to recoup assets. You have none. Okay. You have none. The 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 thing about trading AD Carson is you either have to reload for LeBron or you just have to get young assets for the future because you have none. Well, but you're reloading around LeBron until the day you have LeBron no longer. Yeah. I mean, that's just the reality, is that you have to make winning right now the priority. What I'm saying is if you can do both, that's the ideal situation. A young guy who helps you win now but also gives you something for post-LeBron. But I I would agree. Uh, This is a very radical take. I think that obviously— You don't agree. Let me talk through my thoughts. AD's last two years have been marred by a nice combination of injuries and just subpar play when he is healthy and lots of the passivity and just really poor jump shooting and all these things that are very concerning about his game when he's not at his best. And I understand all that. My contention would be, though, you're not... Like, are you expecting them to get a star in return for Anthony Davis? Like, what does that trade package even look like in your eyes? Because if you're not getting a legitimate what's the, what's bona fide the, star. Give me a bare minimum. What's the bare minimum star you get? A CJ McCollum type. I just don't know what the Lakers ceiling looks like with CJ McCollum as their second guy. I mean, you're just not winning anything super meaningful, in my opinion. You, and can't, you can't count on AD. Okay. I would rather have fully healthy C.J. McCollum for the playoffs than... Would you rather, though, have a higher probability of... Maybe a higher probability of being good? Or would you rather say, hey, conceivably, if we build the perfect team around these two guys, we can win the title? Because two years ago, the Lakers built something that was not remotely the perfect team around those two guys. And I think the league has gotten better since then. But AD was so utterly phenomenal had the best jump shooting run of his career, looked like he was right up there for the best defensive player on the planet, that it was like, hey, this is a top five guy. This guy was matching LeBron step by step with his brilliance. And yes, he hasn't done that in the last two years. But the ceiling of a LeBron James-Anthony Davis tandem is incredibly high. And I don't think LeBron is going to see much value next year when he's 38 years old in you know, just being good. Because you're not winning the title with C.J. McCollum as your second guy, given just how far away the roster is elsewhere for the Lakers. Yeah, I, I, we shouldn't be so quick to forget. I just think I mean, it's, AD was insane. And if he doesn't commit to playing the five, if he's not healthy, it just doesn't matter. Like, I'm, but C.J. McCollum doesn't matter for winning a title with this team. I'm not saying, but you're also going to get something else. And like, I think a shooter and another guy that can take a little bit of weight off LeBron helps off ball. I'm just saying, like. They have Malik Monk, dude. Why are you laughing? What was funny about that? Carson brought up Malik Monk, and you're laughing. Yes, I am. Dude, because um, he's really good. Look, bro, I, I don't want to be quick to forget what AD and LeBron can do because defensively it is special. Um, and offensively. Can I ask you this question, uh, Carson? 
Are, are you disappointed? I personally am very disappointed in the uh, career arc and progression of Anthony Davis because my inclination of AD, I'm not saying that, I just, uh, maybe it was wrong of me to expect this. I had this expectation of when Anthony Davis went to Los Angeles that we were going to see him kind of round out his game. You know, I mean, he's a former guard in high school. I, I thought that, not that he's going to start bringing the ball up the court, but man, people are quick to forget New Orleans, man. He was doing it all. Like he was operating with the ball in his hands at the top of the key. He was initiating offense. He was initiating offense out of the low block. He was, you know, mm-hmm. taking deep shots and he did that during the playoff run. But like, I don't know. I guess nobody has ever really gotten better when they have been LeBron's teammate, when they've played with LeBron, because he is such a heliocentric player. But Well, you're talking about star guys? Yeah. I just, I guess I just expected that, I expected Anthony Davis to really round out his game to be this kind of, I don't know, crazy hybrid five who can handle the rock, who could space the floor. I expect him to grow his game, and we just haven't seen that. Well, sure, I'm disappointed. I, I think that a lot about AD's career is going to be redeemed by that one remarkable run to the title, and honestly, as it should be, dude. They won with a group of ragtag players, Alex Caruso and Rajon Rondo traded off being the third best guy on that team in that playoff run, and they won an NBA title because they had two superhuman guys who, after they did that, we were saying, this season, what we got from AD and LeBron was a top five duo of all time. And so, you know what? If you can pull that off, you deserve to get a pass on a lot of other stuff. But the thing with AD has always been, sometimes you overestimate how things, how many things he can really do at a high level, right? Like what AD does ex- exceptionally well is, first of all, just defend all around. Obviously, he's been an all-defense level guy for a majority of his career. And then athletically be that dynamic lob threat on offense. And then other than that, it's kind of a mixture of, okay, what version of AD are we going to get today? He's never been a truly great post scorer. He's never been a truly great jump shooter. He's never been a truly great ball handler or facilitator, but he's been above average for a 6'11 great athlete at all of those things. And so on his best day, when that face-up game is rolling and when he's taking guys off the bounce, like that version of AD is like something that we've rarely seen in the sport, but we've never super consistently seen that. I mean, Last two years, Anthony Davis has shot 26% from deep and 18%. Those are his last two seasons. Like, and he's never been a good three-point shooter, but he'd been mediocre. And in that finals run, he was 37% from deep. And he was close to 50% on jump shots. But that's just never been who he really was. So, so I guess the essence of what I'm saying is, sure, in theory, I'm disappointed. I am disappointed. These last two years have sucked for him. But I'm not really all that surprised because it was always like he's going to have to take a leap to make this the normal. You know, he's going to have to legitimately get better at these things. And we'd already seen him in the league for six years and it hadn't happened. I don't know. I guess I kind of— Seven years. I guess I kind of got—I just got excited. He was going to go play with LeBron. I (laughs) thought—I just expected more, man. And I'm I'm disappointed with how it's gone. So you would not move off of Anthony Davis. I don't think you so can. So what, Carson, obviously, we're not clairvoyant. We can't see the future. We don't have a crystal ball. Speak for yourself. What the hell do you do with Russell Westbrook? They're going to be able to move that 2029 first-round pick as well. What, do you package two firsts with him and cry? You cry about the fact that you have Russell Westbrook on your team. You can't hold on to him for next season, can you? 
You're not winning a title. Certainly would not like to. No, you're not winning a title. I mean, you're not even coming close. There is no way to dramatically improve this roster while retaining Russell Westbrook. Like, you can make upgrades as far as your role guys, sure. But some of their role guys on the wings have been good. Malik and Mello and Austin Reeves. Stanley Johnson at times. Like... Those guys are not the problem. Stanley Johnson has looked really good. Malik Monk. There are there are valuable rotation pieces. I think that could be that honestly could play on a championship team. I think Monk could. I think yes. I think honestly I think Avery Bradley still could. I think Stanley Johnson. Um, Avery Bradley's been okay this year. I still live. I still like him as a, just a straight up three and D wing man, three and D guard. Um, yeah, listen, I mean, they need to do everything in their power to get off of Russell Westbrook, but somebody needs to show me the means by which they're doing that. Like, yes, it'll be an expiring contract, but who is a team that is in such a removed-from-winning-now mold that they would take that on that is also going to give you a legitimate asset? Like, the only team who I can think of that would, like, trade for Russell Westbrook is the Oklahoma City Thunder. You send the Detroit and get back Jeremy Grant. Yeah, okay, I mean... No, I mean, I was just thinking about just the worst teams in the league. Yeah, Yeah, the Thunder aren't doing that. Why would they want to? You've got three really dynamic, young, great ball handlers that you don't want to take the ball out of their hands. Are we calling Lou Dort a really dynamic, great, young ball handler? What the hell? Who am I forgetting? Trey Mann? Trey Mann, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, and uh, Josh Giddey. Yeah, of course. Um, God, you love Trey Mann. Dude, Trey Mann is going to be a beast. Yeah. I've been on that Trey Mann train. Yeah, he's not Cam Thomas, though. He is no Cam Thomas. But you know what? Trey Mann is a silky smooth. You get a nice floater game, can run an offense. I love Trey Mann, dude. I think that kid is super special. Yeah, dude. Um, if I had to – dude, can we also just give some props to LeBron for what he's been doing this season, bruh? Yes. 29-7-7, and just by himself, bruh. And what I think is also so frustrating – I don't know if this is on uh, – Carson, you, you tell me. I, I don't know if you can put this on Vogel or LeBron himself. Dude, nobody moves in this offense. The Lakers make me want to gouge my eyes out watching their basketball team play. It's fresh. There's no movement. There's no setting off ball screens. There's no effort or intensity. It's really just, it just feels like, oh, yeah, man, we got LeBron. Let's see if he can just carry us, you know, over the finish line. It's not 2007 anymore. You know, we can't expect, the league's way better, and we can't expect that out of him night to night. I it's just disheartening, man. You can't waste prime years of LeBron, and that's what this has been for the Lakers this season. It's what it's going to be for the Lakers this season. I mean, I just think it's a big thank goodness they won the title in a really weird year with a really weird roster when there wasn't really that other team to step up and go out there and beat them because that has completely saved the Lakers era of yeah. LeBron James. I mean, other than that, and obviously none of it would have been his fault, but... <laughs> you know, they missed the playoffs in his first year when the roster just was not there. And then they just went out there and got beat pretty soundly by the Suns last year. And yeah, I mean, injuries obviously played a factor in that, not having LeBron and AD 100%. And then this year, they're going to lose in the play-in tournament. I mean, yeah, that's the expectation. So that's, as far as team success... Three of the four worst years of LeBron's career. But mixed in there is this miraculous title in which he again was like, hey, I'm the best player in the world. And that has, again, 
meant everything and has saved that. Yeah. I'm glad they got it out of the way. I, I, it's a, I've listened to Colin Coward talk about this a little bit too, man. He talks about how he didn't expect the Lakers that if it wasn't the COVID year, if it was an actual realistic year, you know, if we had finished that season out, that the Lakers don't win that title. I don't like getting into the hypotheticals of all that, but it's... Who was better, though? I don't think anybody was better that I year. Agree. I I thought they were the rightful winners, but he was just talking about how he didn't know if AD would have been able to stay healthy through, you know, a an actual end of that regular season. And he talked about how the Heat weren't genuine finals contenders. I thought they were the best team out East. Um, I don't know. Man. I didn't, but they were playing like it in that playoff run. They were really good. I mean, wow. How quickly forget the Boston Celtics almost made that finals. Yeah, That's nuts. I was very confident they were going to. Crazy how the turntables. Any final thoughts here on anything that we've talked about? I want you, So you're not trading AD in the offseason. You're off that. I... Yes, I'm fully off that. I'm not trading Anthony Davis. I, I think you have to. The, the, the Anthony That's crazy. Anthony Dave. Anthony Davis. I don't care how. T- I know. I know how talented he is. I know how impactful he can be on defense. But with a refusal to play the five, with the lingering injuries, this guy's never going to be dependable or healthy enough or impactful enough offensively, in my opinion, to keep him around. So, I'd move him. Uh, and I think you can get a ton of value back for him. That's the thing. Somebody is biting on him. Like, AD is still, again, talent-wise, if the injuries were not a concern, I would want to hold on to him, but he's a top, easily a top 15, top 10 guy. And I guess that's your argument for why you want to hold on to him. Yeah. I think Anthony Davis is a lost cause. I think the Lakers are screwed no matter what. I mean, that is my honest opinion. There is no world to me in which they are able to generate a title would you ever trade LeBron? If if yeah. LeBron if LeBron wanted out, yes, that would be a win for their franchise. I think so too. Hot take. I mean, dude, again, if you don't have the tools and the opportunity in place to get to that title ceiling, yes, I would take an insane wealth of assets for a guy who's thirty-seven years old. I mean, as amazing as he is. It just doesn't mean a ton for their team right now. I would rather see LeBron play somewhere else. I hate watching the Lakers. They're my least favorite team in basketball right now. Well said, bro. All right, good. On that positive note, we are done here, okay? It is All-Star Weekend. We'll check back in with you guys next week, and we'll probably do some more sort of just catch-up content, talk about some of the interesting things that have happened as of late in the NBA, so stay tuned in for that. You can always find Nerd Sesh content all over the place. Listen to the podcast wherever you like, Spotify, Apple. Check us out on YouTube. Check us out all over social media. TikTok is the top priority, baby. That's where the most content is coming out at Nerd Sesh. Do lots of fun trivia stuff there and some hot takes and whatnot as well. You can also follow us on Instagram, same handle. Twitter and Twitch are both at nerd underscore sesh, and that's where we live stream our shows Mondays and Wednesdays. So check all of that out. And with that, as always, I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh.
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> Love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.